Well, good evening, Sherwood family. We're going to have a wonderful time together this evening because for the next few moments, we're going to open the Word of God. In fact, you can go ahead and open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. I'm going to begin reading verse 14, and we're going to be studying together what I've called the second law of liberated living. I mean, how to live free above all the kinds of concerns and worries and anxieties that people have when it comes to dealing especially with material resources, although we are stewards over everything, but especially when it comes to dealing with material resources. Now, last time we met together on Sunday evening, we looked at the first law, and that is the law of ownership, and that is that God owns everything and I own nothing. And once I get that settled in my mind, uh, it changes everything, doesn't it? God owns everything. I own nothing. Now that brings us immediately to this second law of liberated living, and I want to call it tonight the law of stewardship. And what is that law? Well, it is this. I am, I do have a responsibility, I am responsible for the faithful oversight of all God entrusts to my care. I am responsible for the faithful oversight of all God entrusts to my care. Now, that could be material things, blessings. It, it also could be things such as relationships or your family, uh, maybe a a job that you have, and God has seen that you get that, and you're responsible for the faithful oversight of everything that the Lord entrusts to you. Now, we're, we're studying this passage of Scripture against an interesting backdrop in our church family's history, and that is uh, we're right on the, the, the eve, in a few days, we're going to be knowing how we will, as a church family, respond to the Meet the Need offering. And I hope you're doing what Diane and I are doing, that you're really praying about how God would have you to respond to the Meet the Need offering. It's such a worthy offering. And uh, for our church to do this in the midst of the current economic situation, just sends shockwaves through, through the church world because uh, most churches are doing just the opposite. They're, they're hunkered down. They've circled the wagons. They've determined that they can't do as much as they used to do. And uh, because, you know, the, the economy is not what it's supposed to be. And it just shows that they do not trust the Lord. We have the opportunity to show that we trust the Lord. I like special offerings and special emphases like this, by the way, because I believe they're scriptural. I could take you to several places in the scripture that show uh, what happens when God people rise up. For instance, in the wilderness, can you imagine when, when you're thinking about the economy in the years ahead out in the wilderness, they took an offering that was enough and more than enough for the building of the tabernacle, which was an elaborate and very costly building. Later on, and we've already looked at this, uh, we saw that passage in the chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles where David says, who, who am I? Who are these people that we have given so much? 
and their offering was enough again and more than enough to build the temple in Jerusalem. And he said, we've learned, out of your hand have we taken it, into your hand have we put it. Oh, I mentioned this morning, I was going to tell you about a, a rather unusual response. To me, it's hilarious. To a special emphasis in our church uh, some time ago, one, one time when I was pastoring First Southern, we had a special offering called, uh, we asked people to give the unexpected gift. We said, why don't we do this? Why don't we just uh, take several weeks here, and if the Lord just drops something in your lap, and um, uh, you will have already made this commitment, if I, if I receive an unexpected gift, I'm going to give it. Well, the response was tremendous. People thought, well, this is unique because most people never consider what comes their way anyway. Well, people began to give things that had come to them either in the mail, sometimes there was a rebate, sometimes they were in a department store and somebody would come out and say, look, you bought that? Uh, this is going on sale tomorrow, but I want to give you this along with it. And it was just a tremendous response. Well, we had an old man in our church, well, he's probably my age, um, Harold Hartley. And Harold and his wife, Lola, were just wonderful, faithful people in our church family. He had a sense of humor, by the way, which you needed to have in any church. And uh, just, a, just a wonderful, wonderful, faithful deacon in our church, as a matter of fact. Um, <clears throat> Harold determined that he was going to give the unexpected gift. Now, as I said, he had a sense of humor. In fact, uh, he came to me one day and said that uh, he had gone to his, uh, his school class reunion. Harold was a twin. He had a brother named Gerald Hartley as well. And he said, Brother Tom, a man came to me and said, hey, well, Harold Hartley, I'm so glad to see you. Now, let me see, was it you or your brother that died last year? Well, anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's that was Harold Hartley. Well, Harold, uh, it became known to several people, Harold gave an unusually large gift. And before each of the worship services, I'd have somebody give their testimony as to what God had done in their life that week and how they were giving the unexpected gift. And uh, Harold came down to the front and he stood there with me at the front of the uh, auditorium. And he told how years earlier, he had filed for a refund on some income tax uh, payments he'd made, but nothing had ever happened. Years had passed. He had thought, well, you know, it had gotten lost someplace, and maybe I'll never receive that money. And then lo and behold, after about four or five years, uh, the previous week, Harold had received in the mail an envelope from the IRS and an offering. I think it was for $7,000. So he said, Pastor, he said, uh, I want to give this to you uh, and to our church because it certainly, when you're dealing with the government, it certainly was an unexpected gift. And of course, everybody <laughs> applauded and Harold nodded and he turned around and started walking back uh, toward his seat in the auditorium. And then he turned around and came back to where I was standing. He said, but I need to tell you something more. And I said, what's that, Harold? And he, he said, if sometime this next week, and it might happen, uh, Ed McMahon uh, shows up at my front door representing the publisher's clearing house sweepstakes, and everybody is going, oh. Harold said, uh, 
I'm not giving that to church. I want you to know I'm expecting that. <laughs> Everybody just died laughing. But why turn something that should be hilarious into something that's so tedious? So as we think about giving the unexpected gift, and as we think about praying, praying for our pastor, praying for our church family, praying that we'll reach out into the world more effectively than ever before in the history of our church, let's look tonight at this second law of stewardship. I am responsible for faithful oversight of everything God has entrusted to me. When a person is about to to go away, or a person is about to pass away, uh, you want to listen to what that individual says. And, and Jesus, with his disciples one day, was talking about the fact that, that he was indeed going to go away. In fact, uh, he was talking about the fact that he was, going to, he was going to die. And then after his resurrection, he would ascend. And he begins sharing these parables, and these parables are filled with meaning. But in these parables, you can learn other things uh, than their major intent. And so I want you to look with me, if you will, please, at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. And he's talking here about the kingdom of the Lord. And he says, it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and he entrusted his possessions to them. They were his slaves, and he entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. Now, talent was the equivalent of what you would earn in 15 years. And so he gave him 75 years worth of wages. He gave him five talents. To another, two. And so that would have been 30 years of wages. And then to the third, he gave one talent. That was the equivalent of 15 years of wages each according to his own ability. This man knew what each man was capable of doing. He knew his personality, he knew his skills, he knew his abilities. And so he went on his journey. Jesus is talking about the fact that one day he's going to, uh, he's telling his disciples, after my resurrection, I'm going to ascend, but I'm coming back. He wants to remind them of this. Well, immediately, the one who had received the five talents went out and traded with them, and he gained five more. He, he doubled it. And in the same manner, the one who'd received two talents, what did he do? He received two more. He went out and traded. But the one who received one talent, why did he do this? Went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He didn't, he didn't squander it, but he didn't invest it. He didn't tend to it. He didn't practice faithful oversight of it. Well, as he had promised, after a long time, he says, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who'd received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Go and enter into the joy of your master. Well, also, the one who received two talents came and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. 
You were faithful with a few things. Remember this faithful stewardship, oversight of what has been entrusted to me. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Well, then the one also who'd received just one talent came up and said, Master, uh, I know you're a hard man. You reap where you didn't sow. You gather where you didn't scatter seed. And so I was afraid. I, I, I was, I, you know, I, I went away and I hid your money in the ground. But here, here's what's yours. I, I didn't lose it. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I didn't sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have at least receive my money back with interest. Therefore, he said to whoever was surrounding them there, take away the talent from him. Give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. For from the one who doesn't have, even what he does have shall be taken away from him. And throw this worthless slave into outer darkness, into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I pray the Lord will open our eyes to, to a stewardship principle that's embedded in this parable here. These are some of Jesus' last words, so we want to hear everything that he says. All right, here is the principle of stewardship. God owns everything. I own nothing. That's his ownership. Stewardship, I'm responsible for faithful oversight of all he has entrusted to me. So I want to make four statements this evening, and you have your notes there, and you can uh, uh, fill in the blanks and jot down a note or two as we work through this passage of Scripture. I want you to see, first of all, you might just say this, I am responsible. I am responsible for what? For everything entrusted to me. I'm a responsible person. Look at verses 14 and 15. Here's this man going on a journey. He entrusts different slaves with different amounts of money, each according to their own ability. They were responsible. So you need to realize you are responsible. You are responsible. You have received, and so he's going to hold you responsible for, for how you respond. Uh, some years ago when we were living in uh, Zimbabwe, I had uh, a man who worked for me. His name was Petros, actually, uh, which means Peter, and uh, Petros Nkala. Nkala means crab, so he was Peter the crab. But but he was a, he wasn't a crab. He just a he just a happy-go-lucky young man, as a matter of fact, who didn't understand this principle. I discovered later on. <clears throat> so we were getting ready to go on a trip down into South Africa. We were going to be gone for about a week, and I brought Peter the crab to me. <laughs> I said, Petros, uh, let me just take a walk with you around uh, the yard here and the garden there, and I've got a few other things here in the house. That, that I'd like for you to tend to. I'm going to be gone for a week. So if you will, it'll take you a day or two here in the garden. I want you to take care of that. And out, out in the yard, I want you to hear some things I need you to trim. I need you to dig this away. I need you to prune these, these trees. I want you to take care of this. And here, here's a thing or two on the house that need to be taken care of. So if you'll get your paint bucket and some other things, I, uh, I, I just want, he said, oh yes, he said, fundus, which means master teacher. He said, I'll be, I'll be happy to do that. So we went to South Africa. However, we got finished with our business earlier than we had intended to. And uh, 
we just wanted to go home. Our whole family, we said, let's, let's just go home. We'll have a couple of days there uh, to ourselves there at home. That'll just be wonderful. Well, we got home two days before I had uh, announced to Petros that we'd get home. And there was no Petros there. Uh, as a matter of fact, the gate was locked. I had to unlock it and bring our vehicle in and uh, get it parked. And, and we unloaded it and went in the house. And I called for Petros and I looked for him uh, during the balance of that day. And I, I looked for him all the next day and there was no Petros. And then on the final day, when I had announced that I would come back early in the morning, I was uh, seated there in the room looking out the window toward the front road and here came Petros whistling and smiling and, and uh, uh, riding his bicycle up to the gate, taking the key and unlocking it and walking up the driveway at which time I stepped out into the drive. His mouth flew open. His head went down in shame. He had been gone the entire week. Now, what he didn't realize was that what he didn't do spoke volumes about his respect for me. He never would have thought that because he loved me and and over the next year and a half, I, I, you know, we developed, I had the privilege of leading him to Christ, as a matter of fact. But at that moment, that happy-go-lucky young man whom I had entrusted with a job, actually, he had been sleeping in a ditch and came up out of the ditch and asked for the job, and I, I gave him a job. That, that young man took advantage of the time that I had given him and the responsibility I had entrusted him did what he want, thinking, well, I can finish it all up in one day, which he, there's no way he could have done it. Petrus is a picture of so many of us. You see, I am responsible. You are responsible. Our Lord has given us so much, and not just material things. He's given us relationships, opportunities. He's given us so much, and we are responsible. That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing we see in this scripture is that we should be dependable. That's what we should be. We should be dependable. Now, notice what the scripture says here in verses 16 through 18. Here, here are two men who were dependable, one who wasn't immediately, one who gained five talents, went out. He was dependable. He traded it, doubled it. In the same manner, the one who had two talents, we read there, he went out and traded. And then in verse 18, we read, here is one who wasn't dependable. The one who had the one talent, he decided to do nothing with it. He went out and hid it in the ground. We, we should be dependable. You see, we, we have the opportunity to act either with faith or to act in fear. Well, I'm just so afraid that I'm not going to do this right, that I'm not going to I'm just not going to, I'm I, I just not going to do anything. Well, we should be dependable. What was de, is dependability? It is overseeing what God has entrusted to us with his best interest in mind. How will this give glory to God? 
How will my use of these funds, how will my use of this opportunity, how will my, the way I tend this relationship or tend my family, how will that bring glory to God? I should be, you should be dependable. We are responsible. How can we be dependable? Years ago, um, I read a story. Can you tell that I'm, I love stories? Uh, years ago, I read a story about um, a, a young man who wanted uh, a job, and the only place uh, around that he could find where there might be work was a farm. And the farmer was sort of a harsh kind of a guy, but he needed help. And so he actually hired this young man to come and, uh, and to work with him. And he hired him on the basis of what the young man said. He said, here's my recommendation. I can sleep in a storm. And the farmer thought, I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm going to hire him and I'm going to find out what he means by the statement, I can sleep in a storm. Well, after uh, several weeks working there on the farm, the, uh, the farmer awoke one night to just ear-splitting lightning and thunder, and he jumped out of his bed. He thought, oh my goodness, uh, you know, the cattle, what about them? And, and, and uh, you know, the gates, what, what, they're going to be afraid. They're going to run for the gate. What, what in the world can... And so he, he thought, well, I'll go waken that young man. So he went by the bunkhouse. The young man was there sleeping like a baby, and he yelled his name. The boy didn't move. And the farmer, in disgust, immediately went out and he started checking everything. He checked this fence and it was locked. He checked the gate on another one and it was locked. He went to the door on the barn and it was locked. And drenching wet, he, he came back in disgust, still angry that the boy didn't wake up. And he walked by his room and he looked in there and the boy sound asleep. And it suddenly occurred to him that the farmer was sopping wet because he'd gone out to check on something the boy had already taken care of. He could sleep in a storm. I wonder if you are that dependable with what God has entrusted to your care. So, number one, I am responsible. Number two, I should be dependable. All right, here's the third statement. You have it there in your notes. I will be accountable. There's no way that I'm going to get uh, separated from the fact that God's entrusting things to me means he's going to hold me accountable for what I do with what he's given me. Sometimes it might be good just to sit down and make a note of all that he has entrusted to you, not only now, but over the years, and ask yourself this question, have I really acted with this sense that, that one day I'm going to give an account for this? Notice what happened. After a long time, the master of those slaves came back and settled accounts with them. And we've already read that scripture there, beginning with verse 18 down through verse 25, verse 19 through verse 25. And we see how the master called each one of them to him. He asked for an accounting of what had been entrusted to them. Two of them had actually doubled what had been entrusted to them over that long period of time. The third one had done nothing, gone off and lived his life in spite of what he had been given. You see, you and I are going to be held accountable. 
I have some Christian friends who um, believe, sadly, that the Lord, you know, in the end, he's going to come back and everything's going to be fine. It's going to be like one great big party and it's just going to be fine and wonderful and, and everything absolved and, and uh, no, there's going to be no accounting whatsoever for what we've done on this earth. They say, well, the only people that are going to be judged will be those who don't know Jesus and they'll be sent to hell. Oh, but there is what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. And the issue at the judgment seat of Christ is not whether we get to heaven. We wouldn't be at that judgment unless we were already going to heaven. The issue is what did I do, the Lord will say, with what I entrusted you? Or what did you do? with what I entrusted to your care. What did you do with what I gave you? I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There we find a very clear statement about what we call the judgment seat of Christ. Here the, uh, the, the, the Apostle Paul says to the believers in Corinth, verse 9, And so we have as our ambition whether at home, that is here, or absent, that is having died and gone to be with the Lord, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's writing to Christians now. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We have another parable of the Lord's where uh, the Lord says, well done. You've been faithful over this. I'll put you in charge of five cities. I'll put you in charge of 10 cities. We don't know all that this means. We don't know whether it's referring to the millennial reign of Christ. We don't have any idea, but we know that it is going to happen. You see, I am responsible. I should be dependable. I will be accountable. One day, God is going to bring me into account. And it's just important for us to remember that. You and I must not forget that principle. We are held accountable for what has been entrusted to us. So let me make this last statement before we finish for this evening. And that is, I can be commendable. You don't have to be like that wicked slave who said, I, I just didn't, you gave it to me. I didn't cherish it. I didn't, it was a treasure. I didn't tend to it. Um, I think I've still got it around here. Sometimes we don't even have that. The family's gone. The job's gone. The house is gone. The opportunity is gone. But you and I can be commendable. I'm responsible, I'll be held accountable, I can be commendable. Now notice in those verses which you have referenced there in this parable, he said, well done, well done, until he comes to the man who was not commendable, who did nothing with what had been entrusted to him. You can be commendable. I can be commendable. That, that's such a, an interesting concept. I, I have a hard time even fathoming all that God has in mind at that point. But how I deal with what has been entrusted to me, how you deal with what has been entrusted to you, 
will be under God's scrutiny. And somehow, if you're a believer in Christ, when the Lord Jesus comes again, we're not saved by our works, but as saved people, our works will reflect who's the Lord of our life, who's master of our life, and we should be commendable. We can be. Will you be? How do you handle what has been entrusted to you? Let me tell you about another deacon in a, in a church I pastored. I love these men. I tell you, I absolutely love these men. They've assumed responsibilities that, that are so important to nurture the church, to be co-laborers. And, and uh, so there was a deacon in our church whose name was Jamie Strauss. Uh, Jamie has since gone to heaven and his wife, Katie, has since gone to heaven. Jamie and Katie had a, 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 a sizable uh, investment in an apartment complex. Actually, it was a very nice apartment complex, and they lived in one of the apartments. This was, their, this was how they made their living, and this was going to be, when they sold it, it was going to be their retirement. Jamie and I visited often. When I say visited, we went out on church visitation. We prayed together a lot. We, I remember when, when uh, uh, before he died, he was in the front room of his house in a hospital bed, in, in his apartment, in a hospital bed. And, and he would always ask me when I went in, Brother Tom, will you we let, listen as I share with you my testimony? And he would tell how he came to know Christ. And then he would always say, now, Brother Tom, share with me your testimony. And I remember the last time that we met, it was about 9.30 in the evening, and I dropped by to say, hey, Brother Jamie, we had our deacons meeting, and we voted, you know, 10 to 9 to pray for you, <laughs> something like that. We always laughed about that. He said, well, Brother Tom, can I share with you my testimony? And then he said, would you share yours? I did. And over in the corner of the room, I knew nobody was there, but he did. I heard this voice. I'd like that. And there was a hospice worker sitting silently listening to our testimonies. I'd like that. And very gently, just like tapping ripe fruit that fell off the vine, that hospice worker opened her heart and received Jesus Christ as Savior. So I love Brother Jamie. I mean, he really used every opportunity. He told me one time over a meal that he had never had a bad tenant. And uh, his wife, Katie, sort of snorted and said, we got close, but never quite. He said, I never, ever had a bad tenant. He said, I never had anybody that, that left an apartment in rack and ruin, uh, dirty, messed up, moved out, unpaid for, never, never had one. And I said, Jamie, I don't know what you did, but that's a secret that every apartment owner would love to hear. I said, I know some other men who own apartments and people leave them wrecked. How do you have such good dwellers in your apartment? He said, well, you know, I built these things. And he said, I oversaw it anyway. And he, he said, I want them in good shape. And he said, I asked the Lord to, to give me an answer. How could I have good tenants? And he said, I figured something out. He said, when, when folks come and they, they ask if, um, if they can rent an apartment, I say, well, maybe you can, maybe not. Let me show you what we got. 
And he said, I, um, I then asked my wife, Katie, to go show them an apartment. And while she's doing that, he said, I go out and uh, look in their car. He said, I look through the front window, the back window, the side windows, because I know that they will not keep my apartment any better than they keep their car. And he said, when I go back after that inspection, that apartment is either perfectly priced for them or it's maybe unavailable or it's going to cost too much. He said, Brother Tom, these, every offering I bring to the church comes out of these apartments. All this that I can give to the Lord and trust to the Lord and have will to the Lord in his work come from these apartments. God wants me to be a good steward of those. And I know that they won't be a good stewards of what I entrust to them if in fact they're not good stewards of what they already have. Well, I commended him. <laughs> I said, I'm going to his wisdom. But I want to tell you, dear friend, one of these days, God's going to hold you accountable and me accountable for everything he has entrusted to you. I am responsible. I can be, what does the scripture says? Dependable. I will be accountable. I should be commendable. Well, how do you handle this law of stewardship? God owns everything. You own nothing. But he will hold you in the law of stewardship. He will hold you accountable for the faithful oversight of everything he entrusts to you. I hope you'll remember that. I want to remember that as we give each week and then as we give especially to our Meet the Need offering. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this evening, for the Bible study. Thank you for opening our hearts to you and to your word. Lord, we pray for our pastor. We pray for Terry. We ask you put your hand of blessing upon them. We love them. And we pray for our church. And Lord, we pray you'll show us how to respond in such a way with this Meet the Need offering and also just with our stewardship day by day that in the end, we'll hear you say, well done, good, faithful servant. And I pray these things in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen.